Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. From the TCL studios, it's Mackie and Judd. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. Launching. Mackie and Judd. We get things rolling with the opening bell. Want to ring the bell? Pistol formation now. Tungai Valoa with Harris right behind him. Three receivers, two to the left, a blitz from the left. He throws in that direction. It is intercepted and running it back down the far sideline. A.J. Terrell for a Clemson touchdown. Lawrence again with the running back on his right. It's Travis Etienne, the handoff, running to the left. Has a hole, breaks a tackle, and scores a touchdown. Around left end. And into the end zone by the near pylon for a Clemson 17-yard touchdown run. Lawrence in the gun. Etienne, the running back on his left. And it's a handoff to Etienne into the end zone untouched. Off the A-gap between the center and the right guard. Travis Etienne is 23rd rushing touchdown of the season. And now 24th with two tonight. That adds to his single season. Clemson rushing, touchdown, ETN the running back, he's on the left hip of Lawrence out of the gun. Rodgers went in motion to the left and comes back to the right end of the line. It's a shovel pass to ETN and his third touchdown of the night. It is a pressure and Lawrence on his back foot, near wide open, caught and off to the races goes Justin Ross down the far numbers and he is going to score. Caught it near midfield. I think he was shocked to find out there weren't any Alabama defenders around him. And it's another long touchdown for Clemson. 74 yards. Lawrence with the rush coming. Finds T. Higgins. Touchdown. So last night, I got done listening to this first, or watching it. Loose up front. He scores! Greenway was providing a screen. Price appeared unable to move in the crease. And Granlund fires one into the empty net. The Wild lead it 1-0. So I could tune into this. Pistol formation now. Tungai Valoa with Harris right behind him. Three receivers, two to the left. A blitz from the left. He throws in that direction. It is intercepted. And running it back down the far sideline. A.J. Terrell for a Clemson touchdown. And that's what I got. That's what we got. I mean, I rushed home to watch the, the hockey game, and Manny Hill, college football is so damn long that I no doubt in my mind that after 
the monkeys or Sex Pistols or whoever played halftime got done with their lengthy show. Imagine Dragons. Yeah, yes. whatever. And Lil Wayne, yes. Yeah. So once they got done with their show, that I would have the second half in which to settle in and watch the one good college football game in the three-game college football playoffs. And instead, at the end of this whole thing, this is what we got. Clemson beat Notre Dame by 27. Mm-hmm. Alabama in the semifinals beat Oklahoma by 11, which sounds reasonable until you realize that they were up by 21 after one quarter, the Crimson Tide were, mm-hmm. and 31-10 at halftime. Then you had last night where you're finally going to get the good game, right? The semifinals were duds, and you say to yourself, all right, we're finally going to get fourth year in a row in some way, shape, or form in this playoff. Uh, Clemson and Alabama, and Clemson wins this thing by 28. This was supposed to be the game that made us forget the semifinals. This was Mm -hmm. supposed to be the game that we watched and talked about today and said this was fantastic. The three college football playoff games that have now concluded for this season, the average margin of victory, 22 points. A year ago, that number, 9 points. All right. I wasn't super excited for this game, but I at least expected one out of three games would give us something, would Mm -hmm. give us something that was fun to watch. And for the most part, for the most part, tuning in after the wild game to see Clemson truck Alabama Mm -hmm. was not what I expected and or necessarily thought I wanted. And I will tell you, I mean, I I was thoroughly entertained by the game just because I thought it was really impressive to see Clemson play the way they did and dominate the team that was at least appeared to be the clear-cut best team in the country all year long when it turns out that Clemson was that team that was the clear-cut best team in the country all year long. But I you could just tell when Etienne scored that first touchdown where he just cut through that Alabama defense like a knife through butter like you could just tell oh boy like this could be even and, and that was in the first quarter that was in the that was but weren't you Clemson di- going up 14 but to weren't seven. you disappointed that we didn't get I, I I would have I thought we were going to see a really compelling football game finally I I was disappointed that it wasn't close but I wasn't terribly disappointed just because I mean, personally, I was rooting for Clemson to win because mm-hmm. I, I like Dabo Sweeney and I, I'm a big fan of Trevor Lawrence, especially now after last night. Um, but yeah, I mean, I could see how if somebody was watching that, going into that, thinking, well, you got the two best teams in the country. They had been the two best teams in the country all year. We're going to get another epic matchup like we saw the first two times they played for the national championship. And uh, we were a little underwhelmed on that front. Now, seeing Bama get destroyed like that was interesting. But then I did realize the one payoff after the game, the one payoff (laughs) that you got, and we've got plenty of quotes from this. I don't know that since Nick Saban took the Bama job, I believe he took it in 2007, and this was Mm -hmm. his first loss since then, or his worst loss since then. Yep. I don't know that I've ever seen humbled Nick Saban before. And the only way I can describe him and his players at the podium was Nick Saban looked frazzled. Nick Saban never looks frazzled. Nick Saban's hair was sort of standing up. He looked like somebody had taken his dog and thrown it off a tall building. This is humbled Nick Saban, which actually was sort of fun. Really proud of our players, really proud of our team. And I don't think that you know, one game necessarily defines who you are, uh, and that's certainly what I'd like for our players to uh, know. I think you learn a lot from experiences like this, 
Uh, we certainly didn't play very well tonight, and you know we had some issues. Sometimes we just didn't get them covered. Um, a couple times we made some errors on things that they did that we had not practiced that were difficult, um, and they're pretty good. I, I think it was a poor decision on my part not to kick a field goal. You know, the first drive of the second half, uh, we thought we had a really, really good fake, and somebody didn't block the guy they were supposed to to block, so it didn't work. Uh, so it was a bad call. When we don't play well, I feel like that's a reflection on the job that we did, the job that I did, and um, you know. So, but you know, Clemson did a really, really good job. Told them how proud I was of what they were able to accomplish. I know how disappointed. We all are, and they are, and the way we didn't finish uh, and the way we performed, you know, in this particular game. But they accomplished a lot, and we're really proud of them. That is as close to shaking as you will ever get this man. Can you play the first one again, please? Of course I can. Really proud of our players, really proud of our team. And I don't think that, you know, one game necessarily defines who you are. Okay, stop uh, it right there. certainly what I... All right. That is the most disingenuous thing I've ever heard Nick, Nick Saban say. There's no way in hell the head coach of Alabama, who has won six national championships in his career, five at Alabama, can turn, can lose and get destroyed the way they did last night. And, oh, one game doesn't define the way our season went. Well, of course it doesn't now. It, uh, it, it doesn't now. But I just, I love the fact that seeing him at that podium, as I said, his hair is all sort of standing up. Oh, yeah. He was actually, the man never gets frazzled. He was frazzled. He had no idea. And yeah. and Dabo Sweeney is eminently likable. That's yes. the thing about yes. him. You watch, you know, Saban. In fact, it's funny because Dabo was talking about, Dabo at one point, I think it was on the immediate post-game interview he did, Talks about With Tom the, Rinaldi. Yeah, he talked about the fact that you know well, Friday we're going to have a meeting and then we're going to start on next season. And he talked about he basically pushed things forward with a really positive vibe. If you remember a couple of years ago when Alabama won a national championship, I think it was Saban who basically said, "I'm going recruiting tomorrow." Yeah, and everyone's like, are you, well, "Wait, wait a second, yeah. are you going to enjoy this at all?" You know, and Dabble, Dabble essentially said the same exact thing, but he put it in a context where you're like, this is great, this is cool. Yeah. Saban's like, I'm going recruiting tomorrow, I look remember, at me. I remember when, I think it was the year they, they beat Notre Dame in Miami, and they, they blew out Notre Dame and everything, and Tom Rinaldi was interviewing Nick Saban after the game, and, you know, Nick said all the cliche things, proud of our kids, this is great for the players, proud of our players, yada, 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 uh, you know, and then Rinaldi asked him, hey, so, you know, are you going to be able to enjoy this or whatever? And Nick Saban just goes, nope, we're going out recruiting tomorrow. That's Basically, what I'm talking like about. you said. And Tom Rinaldi was one. like, seriously? You can't take five minutes and enjoy this? But Sweeney said the same thing, which is we're going to meet and we're going to spin this forward to 2019. Mm-hmm. Said the same thing. But he put it in a context where you're like, well, that sounds like fun. Yeah. Well, and that and I Saban think is like, I got I to gotta go work. See, and that goes back to my point before of I think that's kind of the difference between the two guys. They're both great coaches, obviously, but I think to your point about Dabo coming off very likable, I think in contrast, Nick Saban has always come off as very, you know, whether it's true or not, fair or not, Nick Saban has always come off as very, very disingenuous. Anything he says to the media, it's just kind of like he's saying it because it sounds good and, and it's he's saying it because he knows he's supposed to say it. Like that, what he said last night about, well, one game doesn't define our season. Well, yeah, Nick, but 
it's the national championship and you're freaking Alabama. As hard like as, this game totally defined their season. As hard night. as ESPN has tried and they have tried a lot in different ways, Nick Saban seems like a guy who is absolutely no fun. None. Nick Saban is no fun. And he doesn't have any and this is where Dabo has something. Dabo looks very much like a guy who knows exactly how to have success and then enjoy the moment of that success. Mm-hmm. That's you, what made yesterday so enjoyable to watch is that you yeah. saw Nick Saban on the sideline just pacing, just angry, just like he's figuring, trying to figure out how the heck he's getting beat so bad. And his team's <laughs> just sitting there. They're beat. They usually do this to other teams, and now they're having it done to them, and they don't yeah. know how to respond to it. Well, the other thing, too, It was is, amazing. The other thing, too, that I love is there's a video on YouTube, and Jonathan, I think I've, I've shown you this video off the air before. Of It's like a compilation of Nick Saban just, just, yeah. just going nuts on his players. Just, you know, just different video clips of him just throwing his hands in the air, and he's just yelling at his players and everything. And the video, and all of the clips are shown... And the music that's playing over the video is "Happy" by by Pharrell Williams. Oh, I saw that last night on oh, Twitter. It's, it's, I think it's yeah. just it's it's glorious. It's hilarious. But has there ever been a time where you've seen Nick Saban or Bill Belichick look like it's fun? Look like and and in the pros, I think that works. That part's fine mm-hmm. because Bill is so good. Uh, the one thing, and and Nick has no problems here. But the one thing is, if I'm a good young player and right now I can play for Clemson or Bama, I'm picking the guy that looks like fun. Well, the only time I've ever I could ever remember it looking like Nick Saban was having some fun was when they won the title last year, when Tua threw that threw that deep pass for that touchdown in overtime to beat. That's because he was happy year. that he benched Jalen Hurts and crushed the <laughs> dreams of a young man. <laughs> That's that what was, it took. That was the that was the only time that I could think of where it looked like Nick Saban was like genuinely like excited and happy and like he just looked like a like an actual football coach and not just a mean grumpy just I still wanted the second half after Imagine Dragons to be enjoyable last night <laughs> not an ass kicking that's all I wanted and by the way one last thing if college football is not going to have bands at, at halftime and they're going to have a rock band play let's make the halftime 15 minutes and get those kids back out there I know. The only argument for the long college halftime, the only argument is let the bands play. So if you're going to have Imagine Dragons, put them in the parking lot. Hell, put them in the freeway, in the middle of the freeway. I don't care where you put them. Shut down the freeway. Just get no, don't shut down the freeway. Let oh, them yeah, dodge. Put, let them dodge let the cars, dodge cars and get back to playing football so I can get to bed. John Krasinski, the athletic from Oklahoma City next. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Just hold your ass right there. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are back. You're about to make a whole lot of people around here real happy. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios on 1500 ESPN. All right, quick update on traffic. It's brought to you by Consolidated Communications. 494 eastbound, we've got a crash near Bloomington between Normandale Boulevard and France Avenue. It's causing a two-minute delay. And also 36 westbound near Oak Park Heights. We've got a uh, crash near Stillwater Boulevard North. It's causing about a two-minute delay there as well. Give your business the power to do more with CCI Fiber Plus from Consolidated Communications. For data and internet, voice managed and hosted cloud and security services, go to consolidated.com. That's consolidated.com. Thank you, Manny. TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie and Judd Phil will join the show as he does at uh, 4 p.m. today. 
Tonight, Ryan Saunders makes his uh, Wolves head coaching debut, 7 p.m. tip-off, Wolves at Oklahoma City. John Krasinski of The Athletic, our buddy, is in OKC for tonight's game. Um, All right, sir, I'll start you off with this. Why do you think that all of this, in your opinion, happened now? Well, I, I mean, I think, you know, Judd, like I was kind of saying on Twitter today with a lot of people who are, you know, asking me about these things and, uh, when you make a major decision like this to part with one of the most powerful people in the NBA, which is what Tom Thibodeau was, both president and coach, it, it's a, it's a combination of all sorts of things. Um, I think one is that he didn't win enough. I mean, you know, yes, they made the playoffs last year, which was nice. Uh, but obviously they weren't able to follow that up this season with a similar type of, uh, stretch they weren't able to build on that yet or at least they haven't been able to yet and so um you know if they were in the three seed right now uh and and looked like they had improved from last season even after the jimmy butler situation i think he'd probably still be here but they haven't so they didn't win enough uh obviously there have been communication issues that he's had with many players with many members of the franchise with the owner that contributed to it uh, they are renewing season tickets, asking for season ticket renewals at the end of January, and attendance was plummeting, and that played into it. And and so uh, it, I think, just really got to a point where all of the elements had added up to a point where they just decided they couldn't go on any longer, and they had to send a message to the players, to the fans, to the organization in general that, they're going to turn the page and move on from a guy who really worked his butt off uh, for this organization, but really also seemed to kind of strangle it as well with just kind of this oppressive sort of attitude and environment that was instilled from him. So it was just, it, it, it was time for him to go. I think he deserved to go, Johnny K, but I will say there's one thing about this entire thing that has nothing to do with Tibbs that rubs me wrong. Why was the owner in Florida when the firing was made? Well, you know, I, I was a little surprised by that myself, certainly. Um, but what we have seen in the past from Glenn Taylor when he doesn't have a particularly close relationship with the coach, i.e. Sam Mitchell, who got fired over the phone, he's not one for worrying about decorum or for doing things, quote-unquote, the right way or the expected way. Um, he did not feel compelled that he had to be the one to do it. Uh, he, so he dispatched Ethan Caston and, and Scott Layden to be the one to, uh, deliver that news. I, I, you know, I don't, I, I don't know this. I'm, but my guess is, is I would say that, you know, Tom Thibodeau didn't engender any kind of benefit of the doubt with the way that he was more, kind of isolationist in his approach to the uh to the job and so um when it came time to offer any kind of olive branch or or do things you know with some kind of even a higher level of respect or anything like that uh i don't think there was a concern about about that just because of 
the last two and a half years and the way that the relationship had played out. John, how much does the fact that um, the main guy who went in and fired Tibbs is the business CEO of this team speak to the fact that the move really came, at least timing-wise, as as much or more of a business decision right this second than a basketball decision? I know ultimately it's a basketball move, but it sure seems like if you connect the dots, a 22-point win, a two-game win streak, those things, and say the timing seems weird, the timing really seems, and, and with Cassin essentially going in to fire Tom, like it was done from a business standpoint first at this moment and a basketball standpoint second. Well, I, I would say that Ethan Cassin ha- is a powerful figure in the organization. Uh, he came on after Tom Thibodeau was hired, but he certainly has a lot of influence on everything in that organization from the basketball side to the business side. Now, clearly he stays in his lane on the business side of things and lets you know the basketball side operate in its own but he wants there to be a collaborative process between the two sides and he has a high level of influence with glenn taylor and since glenn was not here ethan is the highest on the food chain and so it made sense to have someone who technically is above tom Thibodeau be one of the people to uh, to deliver that news. I mean, you couldn't have Scott Layden do it Scott Lay- uh, on his own because Scott is underneath Tom Thibodeau on, on the pecking order. And so um, from just a chain of command standpoint, it makes sense that way. And, you know, the also, yeah, you know, the, the thing is, obviously when you fire a guy after a 22-point win and a second straight home win, the message is that it's about more than just wins and losses. It's about the entire process it's about the environment that's been instilled it's about the way that he's conducted himself but i i don't think it was um that you know i don't think this was a business first basketball second sort of a of a decision um because the basketball side of things wasn't really working out either they were just treading water there's they're three games under 500 they're six and nine since they went seven and three um, uh, uh, coming or since they went nine and three coming out of the Jimmy Butler gate. So um, if Tom, the bottom line, if Tom Thibodeau was was winning games at a high clip, he'd still be here. Um, but then when he's not, and he doesn't, you know, and and then you also have the business concerns of uh, going on around it. That that became too much to overcome. And Johnny, the thing of it is too is it, it just seems like everything that we're saying now about. What has gone on with Tibbs in the last two and a half years? These were a lot of the same things we heard about him when he left Chicago. It was just sort of the disconnect between, you know, from him and the front office and ownership and all of that. And that led to ultimately led to his dismissal in Chicago. And now we're seeing a lot of the same things here. And, and I wonder if what this means now for, for Tibbs and his future in terms of, Getting another job, I got to think he'll get another job in the NBA, but I don't know if that will be a head coaching job again. Yeah, man, it's hard to see uh, a scenario where at least in the next year or two that uh, another organization says you're going to be our head coach uh, and we're handpicking you. I mean, does you know would he would he go somewhere as an assistant and then take over if there's a firing? Maybe, um, but I, I you know. I, there are people around the league I've spoken to who believe he's going to get another chance. Um, so, you know, it, it kind of depends on the situation uh, th- that's out there and what a team is looking for. But in this era of the NBA where 
communication is valued, where these young players have different attitudes, and you got to find ways to connect with them um, on a different level. That's not one of Tom's strengths. And now it has happened in two straight places, in Chicago and Minnesota, and that is going to be one of the things you know, that I'm sure the Tibbs backers uh, will say is that, oh, no, you know, Minnesota's lost its entire franchise existence. Like, this is what they do. They don't know how to win, and, and they should have just gotten out of Tom's way. Well, you know, uh, this has happened now twice for Tom Thibodeau. He's ended on bad terms two separate times, and so that means that there's at least some blame that has to be placed at his feet in addition to whatever the Bulls and the Wolves have done wrong during his stints there as well. So how ready is Ryan Saunders is for this is for this now? Like he is obviously he's very well liked within the organization. He's very well liked within this community. And it seems as though he's very well liked around the league. But he is thirty two years old and he is basically now the youngest coach in the NBA. So in your mind, like how ready is Ryan uh, for this challenge now the rest of the season at least well I, I thought uh, we asked Ryan that yesterday and I, I thought he had a great answer and he said you know I, I don't know if anyone can truly be ready for something like this especially when it's your first head coaching job um, so yeah I, I, I you know I, I he's very young he's never done this before uh, he is surrounded by assistant coaches that were handpicked by Tibbs it's not an easy situation for him to step into. Um, he has been preparing for this for more than a decade. Uh, he has always wanted to be a head coach in this league. He has, you know, he followed his father around everywhere, um, soaked up every little bit of knowledge he could, um, and is doing everything he can to kind of mimic what works for Flip and also avoid some of the pitfalls that that plagued Flip and. So he's studied a lot of Flip, of Tom Izzo, of Randy Whitman, of a lot of different coaches. But it, it, you, know, you never know how anyone is going to react when they move into that big chair, when the lights are, are, are shining right on him, when he needs to call timeouts, when he needs to handle rotations, when he needs to communicate with the players, when he needs to make in-game adjustments. That's what we'll just have to find out. Um, you know, I, I, the one thing I can say is that the – overwhelming majority of players in that locker room very much respect him um, very much like him and will play very hard for him and that's a good start now we'll see how the strategy goes how the in-game adjustments and and performance goes but um, but he has great relationships that he's going to be leaning on and those could serve him well as he kind of navigates a really rocky path here John, what in your mind would be considered a success for him? Well, I, I think that I, I think really over the next few months, you want to see him kind of put his own fingerprints on the in-game adjust on, on the in-game product, and you want to see a few adjustments and changes that he makes. Whether you know he's talked about playing at a faster pace. Um, you know, whether it's shooting more threes, whether it's defending the three-pointer better. Um, you want to see some tweaks that he makes and changes that he makes start to bear fruit. And that doesn't mean they have to go 
25 and 5 and just go on a tear and and, and rocket up the Western Conference ladder, mm-hmm. um, it, I don't even know that it necessarily means he has to make the playoffs to convince Glenn Taylor that he's the guy that should stick around. But what you want to see over the large sample size of 42 games that he has to coach this team is what changes are, are, are is he making and are those changes bringing about better play, more consistent play, um, and, and, and just a better product. And, and so um, that's going to be his challenge, and that should be you know, his expe- the expectations of him as he steps into this. Is Scott Layden done, and, and if the answer most likely is yes, can he make moves? D- does he have to go to Glenn to get them completely signed o- off on? So as the trade deadline approaches, what's going to be Layden's freedom to actually make roster moves if he is going to be presumably let go in April himself? Well, yeah, I mean, he's. Uh, I don't think he's done done. Like, I think he, one thing over the last, I would say, six months or so, uh, I think he has forged a little bit better relationship with Glenn. I think that Glenn trusts him um, a little bit more to handle, certainly to handle these day-to-day duties. Absolutely, Scott Layden will be consulting and, and talking with Glenn about any trades, any decisions roster-wise that need to be made, uh, and, and Glenn will have to sign off on them. But he is empowered to go out and find those or to try and – you know, talk to Glenn about, hey, maybe we should be buyers near the deadline. Maybe we need to be sellers, you right. know, um, that, that sort of thing. He's going to have all of those opportunities. Um, you know, it, I, I do think that the, the Wolves will, will conduct a search, will, will absolutely look at other outside candidates to be the GM or, or, or the president, however they want to structure it. Uh, but, but, you know, Scott's going to be the guy here, the, the, the primary decision maker on roster moves pretty much probably for the rest of the season, I would say. Glenn is going to go, this next step is search GM, G, GM hires coach, correct? Yeah, yeah, that, that would have to be it. You know, whoever is hired as the GM or, you know, if, if however unlikely it may be, if Scott Layden stays right. as, as the main guy, he, the, whoever that is, is, is going to have input and, 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 and is going to be able to pick the coach. Now, Glenn may have some ideas, about people, he may recommend like, "Hey, I think you need to give Ryan a long look, or I need to you need to give this guy or that guy a long look." But one thing about Glenn Taylor is he is always whoever he hires, he's always empowered them to make their decisions. He, he Tom Thibodeau did many things um, from a roster standpoint that Glenn would not have done himself, but Glenn let him do those because he said, "I hired you. I got to let you do the job the way you do it." He's always been that way. Um, and he will be that way going forward. Will Derrick Rose Salker be fine? You know, I, I mean, I think both he and Taj Gibson are disappointed. They love Tom, you know, Tom Thibodeau, and, and they, um, they, they wanted to see him stick around. That said, they are both incredibly professional, and I think that they will play and they will give it their all because they like their teammates. Um, they also, you know, are on the last year of their deals, and so they want to – continue to have value going forward and you know if, if jimmy butler were still here i would be very worried about you know the problems that he would cause 
the the the, the temper tantrums that he would throw. Jimmy, um, who are you talking about? Yeah, all of that insubordination, but you're not going to get that from Taj Gibson or Derrick Rose. They may be disappointed, but there'll be pros out there. Oh, I could, Johnny. I could only imagine if Jimmy Butler were still in that <laughs> Jim, locker room right Jimmy now. Jimmy Butler right might now. not last oh, in Philadelphia the season the way he's going <laughs> craw. Well, I mean, look at look at both look at both Tibbs and Jimmy, right? I mean. Now, like they, they've they've always kind of pointed the finger finger at others. You know, it's their fault. That's why this is why it's, this isn't working. But when it happens in multiple spots, mm-hmm. now all of a sudden the evidence kind of swings back against them. You know and what they should do? The Johnny? thing they're going to have to both have to fight. Johnny, they should both uh, quit basketball and start a lounge act. <laughs> Tibbs, Tibbs and Butler, the lounge act. Those the two clowns. Those or, two uh, clowns deserve each other at this point. It would be fantastic. I'd I'd I'd, I'd pay for that ticket. I'd pay thirty <laughs> bucks to go see them. So would I. Thanks, Johnny Krasinski. Appreciate you, Johnny. it. Johnny, you got to enjoy guys. the yeah. game. John Krasinski from uh, OKC, where the Wolves will play in Ryan Saunders' head coaching debut tonight against the Thunder at seven o'clock. We're up against the clock. Come back. Courtney Cronin, ESPN, joins us next. Why nobody, including me, might want the Vikings' offensive coordinator position. Don't go anywhere. Assume the position. More Mackie and Judd coming up next on 1500 ESPN. Supply. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios. Please keep working during the following announcement. Mackie and Judd are back on 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd. Phil joins the show at 4 o'clock. Mike Golick Jr., of course, uh, on Tuesdays with us, joins at 4.30. But coming to the conversation now, our pal, ESPN.com, Vikings reporter, Courtney Cronin. Hello, Courtney. How are you? Hey, Judd. How's it going? It's going good. Uh, um, You got me interested by the tweet that you sent out, and I'm just going to read this uh, this afternoon that says, the Vikings could be in a tricky position if Kevin Stefanski is offered or takes the Browns' head coaching job or ends up going elsewhere as an offensive coordinator. And, of course, Stefanski's contract expired today. And to go back to your tweet, hard to believe OC candidates will look at Vikings opening and not have pause about working for a head coach who may coach 2019 on the last year of his contract. Have, have we been downplaying this? Because if Stefanski does walk, and, and I know that there was a report that he was going to Cleveland today uh, for a second interview for the potential head coaching job there after talking to the Browns on Friday, it might get tricky because if you're a coordinating coordinator candidate and are looking for any security, you're probably going to look here unless uh, Zim and Spielman get extensions and say, yeah, it's an okay job. But one, one, we know that Zim, if you're an OC, is hard to work for, Courtney. And two, I might be done after 2019. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a point that we just forget to talk about in this because there's been the assumption uh, in some pools that Kevin Stefanski is going to return, it'll be fine, and it, the beat marches on. But, you know, there's a the very real possibility that, you know, whatever's happening in Cleveland right now is, you know, it was reported by NFL Network that he was going back to Cleveland for a second head coaching interview. Um, that The Vikings are kind of, you know, left in limbo right now just in terms of figuring out what their other options could be because I could see a scenario where, if Stefanski gets hired in Cleveland in whatever capacity, if he, he can take the head coaching job if he's offered today and that, you know, once his contract officially expires uh, at midnight, he could, you know, take the OC job there. Maybe maybe they're talking about both right now, um, you know, behind closed doors. Who really knows? But that would leave the Vikings in a position where they're thinking, okay, 
we have to, you know, as the dust starts settling, who are going to be our candidates to replace the interim guy and get him in here for, you know, for, I guess, really uh, following the Mike Zimmer path. Because Zimmer's going in there to 2019, as we know right now, on a, the final year of his, of his deal. And, and, you know, I think that that's something that you can take into consideration that, you know, what type of OC wants to look at this, say, hey, I'm going to uproot my family my entire life. Um, for, for one year with the potential that like the entire staff could be gone next year if things go the same way they did this year. Um, that's something that I think definitely should be talked about because Stefanski's kind of in an ideal position right now with a ton of leverage, uh, being able to go out and interview for these head coaching positions with Cleveland. And, you know, potentially as I reported, there, you know, are some other players in the mix of what he, of, of jobs as an offensive coordinator that he could potentially be you know, in play for down the road if he if it doesn't pan out with the Browns or anything like that. But Stefanski's in an ideal position because let's say Zimmer does go and coach the final year of his contract, so there's not really a lot of stability there and security um, for anybody but Kevin Stefanski, who potentially could be in play. Let's say he does really well this year, but the organization decides to you know move on from Mike Zimmer next year. I mean, he could potentially be in the conversation for that head coaching job in Minnesota in the place he's been for the last 13 seasons. So I think really the only person who's in, in a good position there would be Kevin Stefanski. Otherwise, right. the offensive coordinator pool you're going to be picking from uh, I could see this thing going down to the final, you know, almost the Super Bowl weekend, to be quite honest with you, even beyond that, if they can't get somebody in before them. If you were Kevin, knowing what you know about the quarterback here, the offense here, the franchise here, and most importantly, the coach and what the coach wants, do you take this job? I would take Baker Mayfield over working with Baker Mayfield over Kirk Cousins. Okay, so so if Cleveland said you're, you're not our choice to be head coach, but OC is yours, you take yes. it. I would take I don't it blame, because yeah. that makes sense to me. A, it's a fresh start in an organization that really, you know, by and large, um, kind of screwed him over last year. You know, for lack of a better term, I mean, I think that the fact they blocked him from the interview, interviewing elsewhere, he did interview for this job, he was passed over for it. Um, he's almost really never gotten his fair due from the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, until now, and, and who knows? Maybe it's too little, too late. But people I've spoken with have said, "Don't rule out the Vikings completely in this, just because he is talking elsewhere." I think honestly, he's taking a part of a process that he, you know, very much owes himself to do uh, that he didn't get a chance to participate in last year because he was blocked from interviewing for the Giants' job. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with a guy like Stefanski, I mean, he's smart. He probably killed that first interview, which is the reason he's getting the second interview. Uh, so it doesn't surprise me at all. But looking at the circumstances as to what could potentially happen here in Minnesota, you have the same quarterback, and, and nobody knows Kirk better than Kevin Stefanski, the guy who's worked with him since day one as his quarterback's coach. Or you have a chance to go in, honestly, into a less pressure, pressure situation um, with an offensive-minded guy as your head coach. You'd be probably on the more the same page there with, if Freddie Kitchens does end up taking the head coaching job there. Um then and I do think it's probably better just overall from the, the you know just really the outside perception and in terms of what you have to work with there because Baker Mayfield is you know going to the second year of his career Kirk's going into his eighth you know what you have in Kirk you don't really know the true potential uh, of Baker Mayfield but he did have a really good rookie season and I think that the ceiling is a lot higher there and probably something that's attractive to want to work with. If I'm a Vikings fan, I'm not. But if I was Courtney Cronin. 
How concerned should I be about about an offense that's got a quarterback who I've I've now seen his faults? And this is not to say he's terrible, but he's got faults. He's got faults that I had heard about in Washington, but hadn't seen up close until uh, 2018. And how concerned should I also be about the fact that as offenses around us are just constantly now evolving and younger people are getting involved with really cool ideas and this and that, the head coach, who is a defensive guy first and foremost, continues to say, I want to establish the run, which is fantastic if this is 1956 and we're talking about Big Ten football. So is there anything that you could do to talk me off that ledge? Or, or would you say that I should just basically jump and be done with this? Well, I'm not going to ever advocate anybody jumping off a ledge. It's a small um, ledge. Let's just say it's a small ledge and I'm going to break an ankle or something. I'm not going to die. Well, I mean, if you have, like, good health insurance, then I'd say go for it now. I mean, you'll have time to heal. You'll be back by the start of the regular season. See you later. Bye. Um, Yeah, so, I mean, it's, you know, with a guy like Kirk, and I've had this conversation over the last, you know, 10 days since the end of the season, um, I think that there's kind of a fear among this fan base that this is what you're going to get the next two years, and what what can you really do? I mean, how much is it going to take? How many pieces do you actually need to put around Kirk Cousins in order for him to achieve success here in Minnesota? Um, this is this is his ceiling. I mean, I just don't think that you, know, you can take the primetime record for what it's worth. You can take the clutch stats uh, thing for what it's worth. I mean, the fact that they're the only team in the NFL that did not have a game-winning drive or a fourth-quarter comeback um, it's pretty concerning to me. And a lot of that, yes, there were pieces that were missing on the offensive line. But I just, as I've said repeatedly, it's a lazy argument because you bring a guy in like Kirk Cousins, you expect him in not just like, you're not saying every single moment he has to be on, but there are a lot of moments that he wasn't, that even in the fourth quarter, in big situations, big down and distance, he was not able to come through. So I don't know if that's really going to change all that much going forward, regardless of who his coordinator is going to be. But I think it honestly is to Kirk's benefit to stay with a guy like Kevin Stefanski. Um, we know how confusing West Coast terminology is, and to change up a system on a guy who would be on his third system in three years is a lot. So I think that that's probably something that you want to keep in mind here. But uh, it's you know this, this is probably what you're going to get. I don't know how much of a jump we're going to see from year one to year two with Kirk himself, but... Vikings can do themselves a, a favor by restructuring some of the pieces around him. And yeah, and Courtney, that leads me to my question too of just continuity. I mean, we've already kind of talked about it already, but the, the the continuity side of this. I mean, if if Stefanski doesn't return, and it's you know Mike Malarkey or whoever you know whoever it is, and they come in. I mean, forget about you know just Mike Zimmer wanting to run the football. I mean, you're just you're you're. You're rotating coordinator after coordinator after coordinator, and what kind of effect can this have on not just Kirk Cousins, but you know Stefan Diggs and, and Adam Thielen and Dalvin Cook and you know some of the guys on the offensive line, where you're just getting a new voice that's coordinating this offense year after year after year. I think it's a good point because you don't want to look at the situation and think, okay, there's a revolving door on offense. Like maybe that's part of the reason that they've had so much instability and you know, inconsistencies the last few years. I mean, yeah, they've had good years, and they've also had really bad years. And, like, from 2015 to 16 to 17 to 18, they've had success in two of those years. The other two, they faltered, and they haven't been able to string, you know, that comeback success in repeated years. 
that to me is a huge part of what you're trying to do with the offensive coordinator search and trying to find somebody that will abide by the principles you already have, grow upon them, bring new ideas, but also stick to what you're good at. But I do think that going forward, as we saw with Kevin Stefanski, what he did in the final three games, or really the final two uh, before the Bears game, is he tried to build everything that they did around Dalvin Cook. That's what needs to happen going forward when you have a quarterback like Kirk Cousins that you can't trust in big moments, by and large, uh, to do, you know, to come through and build it around your best playmaker. That's something John Filippo talked about at length when he first got here, that he wanted to build an offense around his best playmaker, who's Dalvin Cook. Wasn't able to do it because of injuries and, you know, other circumstances with, you know, who'd be blocking for him, but that was the principle going into it, and they just got to it too late in the season. Last thing, are we jumping a shark here? Cliff Kingsbury, who could not keep a job in at Texas Tech in the college ranks, is going is set to be named the, the new head coach, the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, and the Jets also talked to him. I understand that there's great young offensive minds, and, and I'm all for it. I think it's fantastic. But are we going a little bit too far when a guy who didn't succeed in college and actually got blown out of his job there is now going right to a pro job? You know, I, I'm not really sure what Arizona is doing there. I thought Steve Wilkes probably would have gotten more than a year. Um, just would have made sense given the circumstances and how bad they were with their personnel. But I, I, I don't know if, if they're attracted by the bright, shiny lights of what he did early on years ago at Texas Tech or just the fact that he kind of falls into the young, offensive-minded guru category that may be a little overplayed because there's one Sean McVay out there and you know, I think the thing that we talk about with geniuses are, oh, well, let's try to replicate geniuses, like find them in other people. Typically, if you're a genius, you're one of a kind. So that being said, um, I'm not really sh- I mean, I think he's done some really good things with quarterbacks over the past. I mean, sure. Keenum's a product of Cliff Kingsbury when they were at Houston together. Davis Webb was a product of him at Texas Tech. Wasn't Patrick Mahomes with him, too? I mean, like, there's yeah. there's a lot of that out there. And I think that maybe they're looking at that and being like, okay, this is the guy to take Josh Rosen to the next level, but can he really run an NFL franchise when he's right. you know, struggled the last few years as a, as a college coach? I mean, time will tell. If he can do it, then he's, you know, an anomaly of, some, of somebody who can do it. Because Nick Saban could do it at um, in, in, in Miami. Right. So, I mean, that's. That's something that I look at and I'm very skeptical of. And coordinator, I get. Yeah, coordinator I completely for get sure. that. Air, air but head coach? Yeah, this I know. Maybe odd. they'll install the air raid over in uh, Arizona. <laughs> Thanks, Courtney Cronin. Talk to you later. Thanks, guys. Bye. Courtney Cronin covers the Vikings, ESPN.com. Um, of course, she is all over the search for an offensive coordinator, which continues. Just the update is Kevin Stefanski, reportedly, I think Pelissero, our buddy, NFL Network, broke this story. Stefanski was going back to Cleveland for a second interview today. Um, and so he's definitely remains a candidate for the head coaching job there. It would not be shocking if he became the OC there, because keep in mind, the Vikings blocked him a year ago from mm-hmm. trying to join Pat Shermer with the Giants because they could. You, you can only block a guy. You can't block a guy from becoming a head coach. You can block a position coach, though, which I don't get this, from becoming a coordinator. So it's not going to be entirely surprising if Kevin Stefanski considers his options, says to himself, well, they blocked me a year ago when I could have had this job. And furthermore, now I'm going to go and work for a guy who uh, basically has got along in Zim with one offensive coordinator in his time. And all of those things add up to the potential that Stefanski will leave and the Vikings will have to look elsewhere. Take a break. Come back. Mackie joins at 4 o'clock. We have some breaking gopher news. And if you're a Fleckinian, it's good news for you. 
Sit tight. The Mackie and Judd show will continue in a moment. Do I have your word on that, sir? Mackie and Judd. Absolutely. On 1500 ESPN. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie and Judd are back. Come on, there's so much to do. On 1500 ESPN. All right, a quick check on traffic. It's brought to you by Consolidated Communications. And uh, good news is right now I don't have any crashes in the area. Of course, it's not 4 o'clock yet, so <laughs> we'll see what happens. Unfortunately, uh, all you have to do is wait about 15 minutes. Yes, exactly. Uh, give your business the power to do more with CCI Fiber Plus from Consolidated Communications for data and internet, voice managed and hosted cloud and security services, Go to Consolidated.com. That's Consolidated.com. Got some good news for Gopher football fans. All right. Andy Greeter of the St. Paul Pioneer Press reporting that Kurt Scirocco, the offensive coordinator for the Gophers, who yesterday, according to a, I believe it was a 24-7 sports report, covers West Virginia football. His buddy is now the coach of that team, and of course he's also friends with Fleck, that he was as good as gone to that staff. Randy Johnson, the Star Tribune, came back and reported that was not the case, that it was still uncertain if he was going to leave. And he's been on Fleck's coaching staff. He coached with Fleck at Rutgers as assistants. In fact, he was the OC at Rutgers when Fleck was the wide receivers coach. And then Fleck hired him at Western Michigan to be his OC. And he joined Fleck here. And uh, Johnson's report in the Star Tribune said it was not a done deal. And now Greeter saying that uh, that he will be staying here as the Gophers offensive coordinator, which is a good thing because, yeah. a- as I've said, I think these guys know offense. Yeah, they I do. really do. I really, you know, for all for all we kid and joke about things here, you look at those last four games, and in three of those last four games, it, it was impressive. And we're talking about in both cases either a true freshman or redshirt freshman quarterback. Yeah. I think Fleck knows offense. I think this guy knows offense. And there's something here. Yeah, definitely. There, there's something here. I think you have two quarterbacks that now it looks like Tanner Morgan's probably slightly better and has, has a little bit of an edge on Zach Anikstad. But it looks like you have two guys that are very capable of helping this team win. You've got legit wide receivers you got an offensive line that improved over the course of the season. This team, You've got a good stable of running backs this team, coming back. This team hasn't had a stable of wide receivers this good in how long? <laughs> like, they've had individual guys be pretty good. Yeah. When's the last time you think the Gophers had, what, at least three viable options? I can't and a couple remember. of whom are really good? I can't even remember. Even those teams that were... Because Mace, Mace could run the ball, and then yeah. he would get a receiver... As I recall, have like Ron Johnson, who was good, yeah, but I don't ever remember having depth there like they do now. Yeah, because they've had, too, they, they've the had their share of number one receivers, but just yeah, to your point, never, never like two or three guys that you could equally trust at the same time. Sporting News yesterday announced what it's calling its pre preseason top twenty five. Are they in it? Six Big Ten teams. Minnesota, number 25. Wow. Bill Bender, the sporting news. And I read from Bill Bender. This is not me. This is a real guy here. Row the boat, indeed, Bill Bender writes. Wow. We know the risks of ranking the Gophers, but P.J. Fleck has his team playing at a high level with blowout wins against Purdue and Wisconsin in November before an impressive bowl route against Georgia Tech. Plus, the Gophers' schedule for 2019 is a little easier than the other contenders. So that's, that's why we talked about. That's why we said when they beat Wisconsin, you go win the bowl game. 
Now you got some. Hey, you got some. You got some cooking now. For, for as much as people think I don't like Gopher football, which is folly, it's not true. It's been bad forever. It seems like that's not completely fair, but it seems like it. For as much as people say that, I think it would be great fun for them to get good. Yeah. I would love any extended run of success, and it doesn't have to be great success. But I'm talking real success. January first, Bulls, things like that. They got something cooking, Judd. I think they might. Hour one is done. Golic Jr. joins us at 4.30 next, uh, but Mackie will step in the studio. We're in the TCL Broadcast Studios. Mackie and Judd. Mackie and Judd resume things following these messages. That's just about the most fantastic scheme I've heard to date. On 1500 ESPN.